0: Hello and welcome back to All My Life, the podcast where we take deep dives into lifelong discipleship. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got it. It's always a mouthful. You nailed it. Uh, My name is Emma Farina, one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Ryan O'Hara, one of your hosts.
0: And today we have the privilege of having Katie Hudman with us. Hello, yo, welcome, thank Let's you. Making the the trek over, yeah, good so to be here. Katie's a missionary at the U of M, correct? University of Minnesota. Yes. Um, and kind of how many how many years have you been serving with SPO? Because I know you were serving other places as well before this
2: yes so this is my fifth year as a missionary with spo and my first two years i was in ohio and then three and four i was in florida so year five in minnesota
0: that's awesome Mm -hmm. that's so cool you got to kind of like bop around and see all the different cultures and
2: yeah yeah very different all three of those places very different climates
0: and very different cultures Mm -hmm. what um what's kind of like the unique thing about each of those locations
2: well, I would say Columbus was the first city I lived in, like in the actual city. We were right on the edge. The campus is right right on the edge of the city. Um, and it was my first time living in the Midwest. So I grew up in Florida mm. and I have lived there basically my whole life until I moved to Ohio. Um, so that was that was unique for me. Um, and then moving back to Florida, I went to Florida State for undergrad and that was where I moved back for. My years three and four as a missionary. So it was like coming back familiar, home. Yeah. Yeah. Very small town for the capital. Um, for a capital city. It's it's very, very small, very quaint.
1: So, um, you're in Minnesota now and people will start to know that I love I love Minnesota, mm-hmm. best place I've ever lived. Don't want to live anywhere else. Really? Oh yeah, for sure hundred um, percent. I should get
0: you a Minnesota shirt. Like, I know. Like I love I Minnesota. Heard <laughs> yeah, I do. And I, heard, I, do. And <laughs> I, I absolutely,
1: I absolutely do. Um, and you will too, if you don't already, this will be the place that you'll never want to leave. Just letting you know that. Oh, about that, your future. That's what I've Is heard. Is that cool?
2: That's what I've heard, um, my teammates in Ohio used to joke that all roads lead to Minnesota. And so I knew sooner or later I'd end up here. So it was only a matter of time.
1: There is some study out there. I'm, I'm totally making this up, but I think it might be true. Uh, that, the, that a lot of people, move, when they move here, they're like, we're done. We're never moving anywhere else. This is the best place. And it's sort of counterintuitive because of, all, you know, all the cold temps. But
0: yeah, for reference today, it's like negative nine degrees out without chill. Yeah. So and that's wonderful. And, and the best part is it. look how
1: sunny it is. It's bright sun. No, really. Like it's it awesome. Blue skies. Oh my gosh. It doesn't get any better than this. The snow is crunchy. The different you know, that's a that's such a great sound, a look, a feel. What's your favorite part about living in Minnesota that's surprising to you? You didn't you lived in the Midwest once in Columbus. Very different place. Whatever, with Mm -hmm. the Buckeyes. Okay, but tell us, what is your favorite part about living in Minnesota? Something that's underrated, people didn't know, you now know, because you've been living here. You're like, I love this place because. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, I'm tempted to say the snow just because I grew up in the south, and this is, it's so new. Plentiful. Yeah, there's so much of it, and it doesn't go anywhere. That's the surprising part. (laughs) It's just there all winter. They just push it off the roads and it sits there in piles. And That's it gets
1: higher and higher and, <laughs> higher and higher and higher. Yeah. I remember my first winter, this is crazy, my first winter here, 2009. And we're at a little small parish in our neighborhood, St. Mike's in West St. Paul. And the priest had this unusual thing that he would do that were, and he would basically say, he would begin his homily, no joke, with public service announcements, like just PSAs to the people. It was kind of like, he was kind of like an ambassador of the city and he wanted to like tell people about things going on civically, seriously. Mm. And I'll never forget the fact that he reminded us at the beginning of winter that I just want to remind you that the snow is piling up and when you're driving, you're, he's literally saying this before the homily even started, when you're backing out of your driveways, the pile will be really tall at the end of your driveway because all you know all of the snow is pushed onto the driveway and then you have to push it away and the, the pile gets really mm-hmm. high and you yeah. know that when you get back to the end of the driveway it's hard to see. Sure. And so that was he gave me that public service announcement in a homily
2: which is so helpful if you're not from here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Accidents could happen all the time. Thank God for priests who give public service announcements. It was actually quite endearing, and it just kind of drew me in to the culture here in Minnesota. (laughs) So you love the winters. You love the the snow.
2: I do. I mean, you have a good coat and a hat, and you can do anything.
1: Amen. I love that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The thing that I will say is I'm still getting used to is the risk of falling. That is ever present.
1: Has it happened yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, what happened? Tell us all about that. And were people watching?
2: No, I wish. I I always (laughs) look. Yeah, it's so funny. I always wish that people are around when I fall because I think it's hilarious. (laughs) And usually no one is. The other day even I was in, there was a boot hockey tournament going on at the U of M called Spam Jam. It's a really big, big deal there. And I was just standing, not even playing boot hockey, and I fell. And there were people all around me, and no one saw. But you, are you
1: sure? Or they just didn't have the, the, they just wanted to protect you and act like they didn't see?
2: You know, maybe. Yeah. Maybe.
1: They're dying inside of, <laughs> <out> of the <laughs> corner of their then eyes. Then they so. walked
2: away and laughed at me
1: in <laughs> secret. <laughs> There's probably some video somewhere.
0: Oh, I love that. That's great. So, fun little fact, uh, we learned this in the pre-show prep, is that you're very comfortable in front of cameras because you were on, uh, you said high school, you were on your TV show. And then also, might have been in a music video at one point.
2: (laughs) The music video is a little bit less anticlimactic. Um, I was a part of a theater group in middle school, and... Uh, Josh Groban, Mm. the music artist, he's excellent. It was the first concert I ever went to actually. Mm. Um, whenever he's in town, at least at the time he would invite, uh, a performing arts group to come for free to his show and to meet him backstage. And so, um, this little girl's theater troupe and I got to meet him before the show and, um, talk to him and they were video recording it. And then one of his music videos later on was just segments of like him interacting with fans. And so my sister and I are there backstage with like our, our girl gang talking to how him How old were you? Nice. Um, I was probably how old are you in eighth grade? Thirteen, 13 or fourteen?
1: 12, 13, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I was thirteen or fourteen. So I'm just standing really? there. Is awesome.
1: it on YouTube? <laughs> Can we take yeah. it out? Yeah. Can we put it in the show notes?
2: Sure. I'd <laughs> okay. have to we'll have I'd to have to look up. up which song it is, but yeah, you can check it out. <laughs> so fun!
1: That is awesome. I love Josh Groban.
2: Hmm.
1: Um. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about that.
2: <laughs> really Big good. fans here. Yeah, <laughs> Josh, that if you're listening, can, yeah, can we love you. That guy
1: can sing. When I you're just, listening, I'll tell you what he can, if you heard he can. him. He can sing. Yeah. Um. So you've been on mission for many years with Spo. That's where you first got connected in college at Florida State, right? That's right. But you've also gone around the world on mission too. We've heard you've you've even gone to Africa, to Ghana on, Mm -hmm. on mission. What was, what was that like and how, what kind of impact did that experience have on, on you?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, my first experiences of being sent on mission was actually locally in my community back at home. Um, back where I'm from, migrant communities are really, prevalent near my house. And so there was a lot of, um, young children that we would put on a vacation Bible school for over the summer. Um, and so I, my first experience of mission, I got to experience right in my own community. Um, but my parish actually, uh, the first time I went abroad was we had a sister parish in Panama. And so we got to go to Panama and I hardly speak Spanish, but got to Experience mission abroad there, and so that kind of like stirred in me a desire to um, go abroad again and and to experience different opportunities of mission. So when I was in college, I participated in this program called Global Scholars through um, Florida State University, and it was I wanted to study abroad, but it was in place of studying abroad, you could go and work for a nonprofit in a developing country, and so. I decided to go to Ghana, West Africa. And so I lived there for three months and served with a local nonprofit there. And it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. I think probably one of the most life-changing things I've ever done.
1: Can you say like what, give us a, a little more as to like what, what was it that was so impactful and how, do you, how did you see life differently after that than before?
2: Yeah, I mean, so many things. The I remember distinctly the first two days being there. It was so challenging. It was the first time I had been out of the country by myself. And it was the first time I had flown on an international flight by myself. And I flew into this foreign country trying to find a man that I had only seen over a Skype video one time at this busy airport with the risk of people like pretending to be him and taking my money or something and so i was terrified so out of my comfort zone and having to figure it out like i was there and i i had to keep moving forward and i remember distinctly the first two days thinking i I'm, I'm never doing this again <laughs> like this is this is terrible i am so uncomfortable um but I just have to persevere and I just have to get through this summer. But then I I got more comfortable, um, and I started to to see how much of a blessing this opportunity was. Um, I think on a natural level, I was put in a totally new community and got to experience a culture where um, they are very community centric. So they share meals together in their house or with their neighbors. Um, Everyone goes to church together on Sundays. Um, Everyone looks out for one another, and coming from a place where I wasn't really involved in my faith in college at that point, and I didn't really have a community, and I now experienced on a natural level what it's like to be a part of a people who look after one another, who care for one another, and that just softened my heart a lot um, towards like the whole experience. Um, I also, I think God was, God had like a lot in store for me on that trip because uh, my supervising professor for the program actually visited us while we were in Ghana and she was working on her Ph.D., which was about students developing their own personal identity in the context of a foreign country. And so the whole time I was there, she was asking me questions, encouraging me to reflect on who am I? What is my identity? So here I am in this foreign country reflecting on who I am and realizing that faith and God is so important to me and Mm -hmm. that hasn't been reflected in my life, and so then I'm wrestling with, well, if it's important to me, then I need to be living it out, because I I see God as part of my identity, as part of who I am, but that's not reflected in how I'm living, so it was very self-reflective. I had a lot of time. I had a lot of space. I was totally disconnected. I was unable to talk to anybody or really communicate with anyone while I was there, because there's, like, not cell signal or, like, easy internet access. So I was just totally removed from my life of busyness and selfishness and um, school and partying and plopped in this very Christian communal place.
1: Mm. Did you get to... uh, Were you going to mass regularly at that point? And -hmm. did you get to continue to do that? Like what was... What was the religious experience like for you, even though that wasn't exactly what the, the job was about, but did you have opportunities to go to mass or what did that look like?
2: Yeah, um, I had been going to mass. That was something that I, though I gave up a lot of things when I went to college, that was something I didn't give up. And then going to Ghana, it was important to me to know that I would be able to go to mass while I was there. And my uh, the man who was the founding person of the nonprofit told me that I could, and, um, so there's a local parish, I would take a taxi by myself, um, on Sundays, and the first Sunday I was there was the feast of Christ the King, and, um, it was really beautiful. We got to mass late because we didn't realize that it started an hour earlier because it was a feast day, I I guess. And, (laughs) um, so we got there late and missed most of it, but we were there at the very end. Uh, they were going to do a Eucharistic procession around the town. And so I'm standing in the back and the priest is processing out with the monstrance and they're going to go walk around the whole town and the choir is singing and everyone is following them. And, I was just standing in the back of the church and he walked by with the monstrance and I felt like though I am in this foreign land and I don't know anyone, like I felt like Jesus is here Mm -hmm. and I know him. So that was my first experience of mass. And then eventually the hospital that I worked at, I made friends who were Catholic and also went to church. And so I would meet them there and sit with their family Mm -hmm. and made some friends in the church there. But, It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I tried to record as much as I could some of the choir music because their praise is so expressive and so beautiful. There's all so many songs that they sing in addition to the songs that we would normally sing at Mass.
1: You mean in terms of even just number? number.
2: Yeah, they just insert a song randomly. Like (laughs) after the first reading, there's the psalm, and then there's like another song, and then the hallelujah, and then they do another song, and just... Songs everywhere. Was mass
1: long, like how much longer? Because that, that would lengthen yeah, things. That
2: was, yeah, it was about two hours. Yeah. Unless it was a special day, then it would be about three. One time the bishop came and they like, they processed in with like gifts for the bishop. So they had a a lamb and a goat and some chickens that they brought to the altar for him. And um, that mass was three hours long.
1: Love it. Can you imagine?
0: That's
1: so cool. Can you imagine... Um, you said that you're this visiting professor, the professor who is sponsoring it, supervising it, was asking these questions about identity. Have you ever thought about what your that trip would have been like? I mean, I wonder, like, what would that trip have been like had that piece not been inserted into it?
2: Yeah, I, I think I probably would have thought about identity a lot less and would have maybe experienced the differences between me and the community I was in on a more superficial level, rather than taking it into the heart and actually reflecting on who am I and what do I believe? Um,
1: what's like really important? Yeah. Who do I want to be? Or Yeah,
2: kind of and how is my life reflecting that? How is what I'm doing and the choices I'm making helping me to become this person or leading me to grow in these areas?
1: Yeah, it seems like... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, those like those kind of turning points become like paradigms or even templates for the way that God you um, kind of attracts us, but then also the questions that we want to then ask others. How have you seen that question of identity? kind of play out, not just in in your time in Ghana and what that led you to reflect on, but also as you've been called as a full-time missionary now for many years and even as it started as a student, how has that question followed you and been a part of the work that you've been doing? Not just for your life, but really for, for others.
2: Yeah, I think that moment or those moments in Ghana were a launching point for a deeper conversion that God wanted to have in my life. And that question followed me when I came back to the U.S. And um, I like searched for the answer in a lot of different ways before I ended up actually coming to the Lord and saying, OK, like I'm I'm ready, like I'm ready to make some serious changes with my life. Um, And I, I see it in in my friends and my peers and in the students that I get to be friends with, too, on campus, Um, I see we're all searching for our identity and what it means, who we are, what makes us special, Um, like, why are we here, and that answer can only be found in God, and that's, that's part of the reason I am a missionary, is because I found that truth, and I desire for women who seek it in a variety of areas to actually come to know Jesus more and to, to know that that's where the truth of their identity lies, that they mm-hmm. are daughters of a father, the daughters of a king. And um, I want to continue to grow in that as well, which I think is also why I'm a missionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need the accountability.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like moving forward um, I mean, I know you work with like a lot of women on campus and I'm um, to lead a lot of them. Um, so for people who are like kind of like later in their college years or have like just graduated, um, I guess, what, the, what is your piece of advice that you would give them, even particularly like in this area of like their identity and like searching for that?
2: Mm. That's a great question. I would say, I mean, if you haven't taken this question to the Lord, or um, a person of faith who believes in the Lord, like, what are you waiting for? I mean, God, God is the answer, and um, I think there's a lot of wrestling that we have to do before that, and to not be afraid of wrestling with some beliefs that we might hold, or wrestle with some healing that we need to have, but... Um, yeah to as fast as you can take that question to the lord
1: do you ever find that the answer is like people sort of i don't know balk at the simplicity of it that they're like wait there's got to be more than just i'm a son or i'm a daughter and sort you know like so how do we help Demonstrate that, like, sh- kind of demonstrate that important. Like, why is that so significant? I mean, we all have the experience on some level of being the daughter or son of some parents. So it's it's a paradigm we all understand. But why do you think that can, is such an important kind of unlock for people? And what what people what pe- what might people be tempted to misunderstand about that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, something that and where I, do people
1: kind of get off as as they kind of off the tracks with that?
2: Yeah, something I see often in myself and in others is that we're tempted to find our worth in what we do and what we accomplish, and probably have experiences, uh, wounding experiences from our own earthly parents that um, make it difficult for us to believe or understand that. A father could love us unconditionally, and so I see even when the answer is so simple, men and women saying, "But it, there must be something else that I have to do," mm-hmm. and I am trying to pray, but I must not be doing it right. It can't. The answer can't be that simple. It must be more complicated. But um, I think we do. Uh, we think we do overcomplicate it a lot. And lately, I just have been reflecting, especially during my time in Minnesota how God really is just inviting us to to love and at the foundation of what it means to have a father in heaven is that we are loved and that's what it means to be a daughter is that I'm loved and how can I reflect that but by loving other people and expressing to them that they are loved not just by me but but by a father in heaven and and just like expressing that as much as I can and, and pointing them toward that and encouraging them that doesn't matter what you do. It matters that you mm-hmm. receive that love first and foremost. And then then we can talk about what to do. Was, <laughs> was that details.
1: transition hard for you? Because I, I know you to be a really talented person. I bet you, you had some aspirations if you will, to a accompl- and you're accomplishing a ton of things. Right. But like you, you would have been a high achiever. I bet you got like straight A's in high school, just a guess. You might've been that were you like, you're probably valedictorian. I don't Not know. Not
2: quite, but
1: you're I, up there. Yeah. Top five. I know. It. I just know it. Um, so you're an achiever.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: How, how have you reconciled? Like how hard was that to kind of go from achieving to receiving? Like that's like, you know, for high achievers, this sort of posture of, of just receiving that truth, because there's nothing you can, you can't earn sonship, you know, it just is, I, I am my parents son. I, I didn't do, I did nothing to earn that. Yeah. And yet I think we still try to earn it in other ways, like to live up to it. And how, how did you reconcile? Because again, I just perceive you as a, as an achiever.
2: Oh yes. I am a big achiever. I think it's one of my top five strengths is achieving. And on top of that, I'm extremely competitive. So I know it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot of like yeah. training things together, and you're never satisfied with the simple answers <laughs> I might put out there. Hey, Katie, what do you say we just do this? She's like, yeah, I think <laughs> it can maybe be a little better. I'm like, that's a great idea. You know, anyway, I'm just messing with you. No, but you, you really push towards. A certain excellence and perfection, and I've always appreciated that about you. But I'm I'm kind of struck by mm-hmm. maybe the the challenge of of having that kind of achieving mindset and going into this sort of um, son or daughter mindset, which really is absent of achievement.
2: Yeah, I think it it has been and is a challenge to want to do things for the Lord rather than just be with Him first and. I think something I have to check myself on and I'm grateful to have sisters in my life that encourage me in like, um, regularly so that I don't slip back into this, um, achievement mentality when it comes to my relationship with God. Um, but I, to be honest, when you first asked the thing that crossed my mind was, um, I think the thing that was most helpful is realizing that there are people that are better than me and smarter than me and holier than me, more talented than me and learning to rather than like strive to be better, accept myself for who I am and accept my Mm -hmm. gifts and my weaknesses for what they are and, um, pray the litany of humility a lot and, (laughs) um, just be okay with Like this is where I'm at. And rather than having my eyes on other people to measure myself or to assess like how I'm doing or where I'm at, um, to actually just look to the Lord and ask him like, what are you asking me to do um, or not do? Um, Where are you calling me to be or go or where are you inviting me to lead or whatever?
1: So before we get Hmm. to the, the hot seat, because we have a few hot seat mm-hmm. questions coming. I want to okay. turn that last question even now on its head. How has this gift of achieving sort of, where, where, how has God used that for the work you've been doing? How has he leveraged that sort of ability to get things done, to focus towards a goal? How has he sort of elevated and sanctified, if you will, that gift and use that in, in, in mission?
2: Yeah that's a great question. I think having been at many different campuses one of the common themes that I have seen in the work that I've been able to do is that um, usually there's something that is we're trying to build. Like on one campus we were trying to build a culture of evangelization and outreach to our peers and on another we were trying to build um, our household community and students investment in living in household and living the communal life together and on another campus trying to build up a rich culture of sisterhood and um, I think I the Lord inspires me with a vision of what could be and I'm just like all right let's get it done and uh, spring to action and and love to collaborate and work with different people but I think my ability to execute and to achieve really like helps goals and visions to be actualized and um, for structures to come into place so that it's not me just doing something cool for two years and then I leave, but I always try and keep in mind like how can this be sustained beyond me? How can this outlive me? Um, and how can I like create an impact and, and raise up young women to take my place if I leave or if I'm gone? So I think that is probably how my achieving has played out in my
0: work and in the it. mission. I can totally see
1: yeah. it. I can totally see That's it. Cool. Ready for some hot seat action? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Emma kick us off here.
0: All right. What is something that makes you just laugh out loud?
2: Laugh out loud? Probably uh silly videos or silly jokes. Um, I remember like the
0: last one that
2: Um Do you know the game Apples to Apples? I, my favorite thing is when people give you a card that makes no sense when it's like the the adjective you're trying to describe and they just give you a random card. That's what came to mind. That's so funny. <laughs>
1: I love apples to apples. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. A Classic. Game. I love it. So um, favorite appliance.
2: Oh. Um, like
1: just what's your favorite appliance on planet Earth?
2: So Can't for- live without. For Christmas, I just got one of those big kitchen stand mixers, you know, like with the the thing that mixes it for you mm-hmm. with a bowl. Um, that's probably my favorite. Of next brothel. level. So have you, what so what cool. have you made in it? I haven't made anything in it yet because I have been gone. <laughs> so I got it for Christmas and then went to Florida. So I didn't have it with me, but um, I really like to bake bread and it's really helpful for oh yeah, the for dough kneading. hook. Mm-hmm. Helps you to knead.
1: Do you have bread a good dip. like? you have a, a bread recipe that you're like? This is money. I feel like you'd be a recipe person.
2: Yeah, actually, my chocolate chip cookie recipe is money. Yeah. Yeah, it's a secret recipe. Show notes? Anyone? <laughs> I mean, it's a secret recipe. Oh, okay. So, mm. so maybe, maybe if you're lucky, it'll leave
0: out a show couple ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How much sugar? I don't know. Yeah.
1: Take a guess. That's awesome. Love it.
0: That's so fun. Um, how many instruments do you play?
2: So. That's a great question. I would list that I am proficient at playing guitar, though I also have, in a worship setting, played the cajon or percussion, um, keys and bass, and I sing. So yeah, bass guitar, all.
1: Wait a minute. I, you. Did, I just. I mean, I could. See, I feel like I could see you playing an upright bass before I can see you like. Really. Yes.
2: Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, Not that good, but.
1: Yeah. No, I just love it. I didn't. Somebody had mentioned, I think, Mm -hmm. Connor. Did you play
2: to this end? You played at the women's session? I played at the women's session. Usually, so um, I was laughing after because another woman and I were like, well, that was so fun to play with a group like that in a setting like that, and I'll probably never do it again because... I'm pretty mediocre, and I don't know of anyone who's going to be knocking down my door for <laughs> the amount of talent I have to offer.
1: Well, and it seems kind of like once you get, like, three instruments in, you may as well play 12. What is it? It's like I speak three languages, or I mean 12. You know, it's just once you get, like, your third one. Because anybody could play one instrument, maybe two, but, like, when you hit three, mm-hmm. you can basically play them all. Yeah, it seems like, baseline
0: like. knowledge. Of- yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Especially with guitar, I mean... That's really helpful and an easy entryway into, like, percussion or bass because bass Mm -hmm. is basically the same. You're just playing the bass notes, and with guitar, you need to have rhythm, and so that's helpful for percussion as well.
1: The last question, um, earlier in this season of All My Life, we interviewed a young man uh, named Josiah. Oh, yes. Word on the street is... You guys are in like a relationship.
2: A very serious relationship, apparently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And sometimes this man would sport a mustache.
2: Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Mustache
1: or no mustache for Josiah? Like, what's the call? Like, if you had to make one call for the rest of your lives that you're dating. (laughs) Oh, man. And you only get one call.
2: Only one?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Like, there needs to
2: be like a drum roll. I know. I'm I'm trying to think of what the right answer is. No,
1: there no. You are independent. You've got your own thoughts about this. No pressure.
2: I would probably say no mustache.
1: Good call, I think.
2: Doesn't mean I didn't <laughs> like it. I just think practically for maintenance, though I think were he to be an old man, the mustache would be an awesome move. So, if I had to choose now for the rest of my life, Maybe I would say mustache.
1: Oh, I see some ambivalence. I think mm-hmm. there's opportunities here. We could go either way. Yeah, I love it. it. Looks
2: like we might be running out of time too.
1: <laughs> On that note, well, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Katie, it's been an honor and a joy mm-hmm. to be with you. Thanks so much for for sitting down with us. Yeah,
2: yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yeah.
1: You're welcome.
0: You can catch us on YouTube uh, if you want to see the video version of this podcast or oh, yeah. on any uh, podcast platform. Take your pick.
1: All the podcast platforms. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite one, Emma?
0: Spotify. I'm go to.
1: O- I'm an Overcast guy. What do you, where do you listen to podcasts?
0: Spotify for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Two more, Ryan. You can join our family plan. <laughs> Thank <cute. laughs> uh, We'll see you next time.